0: For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media.
1: I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On! Crime Writers On! is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode... This Texas Ranger was famous for getting confessions and closing cold cases. Did his unorthodox interrogation techniques land innocent people in prison? We'll discuss the latest season of Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These their Stories podcast, my husband, a love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, executive producer, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca, the host. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of the Piper Green series of cozy mysteries, the one-day licensed bartender, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura.
2: Hello, Rebecca. And if anyone else in the great state of New Hampshire wants me to be their guest bartender for the day and they're a nonprofit, hit me up. I will be glad to get that license again. That's right. We need some dirty Shirley's over here, Laura.
1: And finally, our resident doubting Thomas, the author of the city trilogy of novels, host of strange arrivals and our Patreon deep dive book club podcast host, Toby ball. Hi, Toby.
3: Hi, Rebecca.
1: All right. So Kevin, this is obviously Thursday's podcast.
3: Obviously.
1: What is coming up on Monday's show?
0: So, starting on Monday, we're going to be beginning our uh, summer schedule, and that means we're kicking off Monday with the new series from Max. It's called Jared from Subway.
1: We've been talking about talking about that for weeks. Yeah, and
0: if you are on Patreon, you would have seen us already record that uh, in a live a live uh, broadcast where we, uh, you know, everybody got to see each other, yell at each other, and. Make jokes about Jared that probably didn't make the cut, but you know, it'll it'll be a, it'll be a good discussion.
2: Maybe I even showed up with a five dollar foot long oh my goodness, taping. A five dollar foot. Wouldn't that have been weird? A five dollar foot long. I mean usually Viagra is more expensive than that, wow.
1: isn't
2: it? Wow. Uh, uh, oh. Have you guys ever eaten like do you guys like Subway? Have I eat? do
0: like Subway, yeah.
1: What's your favorite?
0: I like the BMT. What's that? Oh uh, what people think like BMT stands for like Bologna and no, it's bologna. It's, well, gross. The BMT is the Brooklyn Manhattan transfer, right? That's a subway, so that's why they named it that it's named after a famous subway oh. in, in New York.
1: All right, so for the record, Kevin, I looked it up. The Italian BMT is thin slices of Genoa salami, pepperoni, and ham, all yeah. of the cured meats together with processed cheddar cheese. I
0: don't get it with cheddar.
1: What do you get it with? I get
0: it with provolone. Or I think they, man, it's been since the pandemic since I've been in one, but I think they have like spicy, like uh, maybe like a pepper jack or something like that, but I I don't get American cheese. So the
1: last log line after processed cheddar cheese is, mmm, it'll just melt in your mouth. I like the uh, meatball. Yeah, okay. I'm going to get anything. I mean, the meatballs aren't good. But if I'm forced to have a subway, I'm gonna get the meatball.
0: Yeah, all those times where I dragged you in by gunpoint, saying, "Oh no, 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 have a sandwich, Rebecca, or maybe like a
1: tuna." It's one of those things where, like, sometimes work will just be like, "Hey, we're usually it's Panera or whatever." Mm -hmm. Like, I'm doing an edit next week, and it's like we're bringing in box lunches for everybody. Do you want? A turkey, a tuna or whatever. And it's always like Panera. So I'm like, or like, a, or like the works. So I'm like, just get me a tuna, whatever. But sometimes accidentally it's like Subway. And I'm like, yeah. shit. I'm like,
3: accidentally. How is that. that an accident? Yeah.
1: Because that's what somebody is like, you know. Oh, I
0: called the wrong number. I thought I was getting no, no,
1: no, 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 Because like whoever's doing it, like that's where they know to get sandwiches from. So that's where they get the sandwiches from. And I'm like, oh shit, we're doing Subway.
2: Just get me the meatballs. Yeah. It's innocuous, you know? Mm.
0: Yeah. Do you guys have a Subway go-to?
1: I don't do. Subway. I haven't
2: been to Subway. I mean, I always go for like a BLT, like bacon, because I'm like, you can't fuck up bacon. The too bread much. is
1: weird and sweet. That's why I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway,
2: <laughs> sorry. I guess. By the way, I think
1: that
0: there's not a lot of talking about the sandwiches. Yeah. In this documentary, no? Jared from Subway. Yeah.
1: I also don't think we're going to be getting Subway as a sponsor anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> after, Seems after, my, like after my quote, the bread is weird and sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Although Subway, if you are willing to change my mind, I will take some of your Subway sponsor money. Just saying, I am, I am, I could be sold.
0: I just got a text from Quiznos.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, I think it's time to get the content in and not talk about Subway anymore, but I am looking forward to that documentary and talking about it. so, Kevin, should we talk about the podcast we're talking about this show?
0: I think you should lead off.
1: All right, let's go ahead and drop that first clip right now. Leading off.
2: Law enforcement. I was always taught and was raised. And the way I understood it was to trust them. They're there to help you. But now that's a totally different ballgame.
1: When a Texas Ranger asked Larry Driscoll if he could help solve a cold case, he agreed to talk to him. But... Ranger James Holland accused him of killing Bobby Sue Hill in 2005. After two days of intense interrogation, Driscoll wondered if maybe he did do it and walked into a confession.
3: Does that sound like what happened? Hypothetically? Hypothetically, I guess it could have, but I just don't know. Was it self-defense or did it should just get out of hand? If anything, it would have had to self-defense, but right. I can't remember.
1: Holland is revered for his talent at getting confessions, even though he uses questionable techniques like deception, suggestion, and forensic hypnosis. Did the detective known as the, quote, serial killer whisperer ensnare an innocent man?
3: Of course, when you report on these kinds of cases, you constantly question yourself. No one wants to be the journalist who naively believes the story spun by a killer. But then I found another one of Holland's cases, which also features a questionable confession and involves some tactics even more shocking than the Driscoll case.
1: In the latest season of Smokescreen called Just Say You're Sorry, host Maury Shema asks what happens when suspects are convinced they can't trust their own memories to defend themselves. It does a deep dive into Holland's interrogation of Driscoll, as well as those of other suspects subjected to his unorthodox questioning style. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. So, Laura, are you looking forward to getting
2: arrested when you're in Texas or questioned when you're in Texas? Um, Neither especially if the Texas Rangers have anything to do with the interrogation and the questioning. I mean, and I think that obviously we talked about this in our last review when we talked about how to create a sex scandal and what happened in that case with child suggestibility, and now in this case we have something um you know, I don't know if we're going to say worse or whatever, but more prolific in Texas Ranger James Holland who is just absolutely determined to get his man, regardless of what he has to do to basically just get them to say they're sorry and confess. And it's really, I mean, we hear three different instances, you know, they call him the serial killer whisperer, three different cases in this where he is the interrogator and that, you know, are pretty questionable. And did we watch a documentary about the little case? I feel like we did. Like we watched something yes. along. This is like one of Kevin's quiz shows. But again, that it wasn't was about the little bonkers. case. It was
1: about the other Texas Ranger case with the most prolific quote. Right. Henry
3: and, Lee Lucas.
0: Where they Henry were like Lewis, bringing
1: yeah.
2: the guy like all yeah. the yeah. food and they're yeah. like, you want some food? Yeah. It's called uh, the confession here, killer. Here's some Subway. Will you confess yeah. now so you don't have to eat another Subway sandwich. All I can remember
1: is that they just talked about how they kept talking about how bad his breath was. And yeah. like they didn't, and they just kept bringing him like
2: shakes and stuff. Yes.
3: Strawberry milkshakes. Yes. Yeah. Cigarettes.
2: Yes. Yeah. So no, it was, it's, it's um just the way that this guy questions people. I was like, Oh fuck. It's a defense attorney heaven in Texas. If you want to go there, I guess. But, what the hell is going on with the Texas Rangers? But, Kevin, the Texas Rangers are supposed to be elite, right?
0: They are. One one Ranger, one Riot, or one whatever. One
1: Riot, one Ranger.
0: Actually, I think it's a pretty cool uh, slogan.
1: It's cool if, if they're actually elite. <laughs> if they Well, I'm sure that that
0: guy who got off the train back in 18, whatever the fuck it is, uh, you know, he was probably a badass guy. But, yeah, it just seems like... Chuck Norris <laughs> is elite. <laughs> yeah. And the Lone Ranger. Don't forget the Lone Ranger was one of the Texas Rangers. Oh, really? Yeah, he was left for dead after an ambush, and that's why he wears a mask and, you know. know. Yeah, he's oh, yeah, kind of got... problematic, to be honest. <laughs> His sidekick Tonto and, yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay, so we'll just say it was a different time. <laughs> <laughs> and let's just move on to, like, the problems of today <laughs> with the actual Rangers. Yeah, I mean, there was the point that I think you're trying to make is that they are sort of revered by law enforcement and by the public and so when they come in there's like a special order like oh it's the rangers you know it's like it is like the green berets of that police department so
1: it's like bringing the seals
0: yeah but yeah you know so like oh well this must be this must be a you know a very important case this is a very important member of law enforcement so what they're doing must be right it must be you know on the side of goodness and justice and blah 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 And so that gives you cover for actually being incompetent. Although, you know, because you get all these arrests, I guess that's good enough.
1: Yeah. What do you think about the Rangers techniques that we hear about in this podcast, Toby? Because they do spend, I think, the first two episodes really talking about... Hollins. I mean, it, this really is about this one specific dude, ostensibly, right? right? Uh, and they spend an awful lot of time talking about. I mean, the title of the podcast is "Just Say You're Sorry." The Smokescreen is obviously a series that we've covered before. Fake Priest was one series. We did another one, Kevin.
0: Oh, was mir- the the Miracle Cure? Yeah.
1: Uh, And this is obviously about this dude, just say you're sorry, just say you're sorry, dude. So we hear an awful lot about his particular techniques. What are your thoughts about his particular techniques and the way they're broken down in the show, Toby?
3: So um, I think the show does a good job. It's not super efficient, but it does do a good job of talking about these different things he does. You know, including this whole thing about hypotheticals where you you start, I I think he compares it to that OJ book, if I had done it. But he tries to get people to walk through like, okay, so if you did do it, like how would that have looked? And on these sort of marathon interrogation sessions, again, this is something that we've seen a lot. Like you can go back to the uh, Central Park Five. It's like... You just wear people down and they're eventually willing to say whatever so he kind of guides them in this way you know the uh, forensic hypnosis you know using that in 2014 like that's a legitimate technique seems insane michael if you would imagine that there's a single grain of sand resting on the very top of your head as it spreads slowly across the top of your head and it leaves you with almost the feeling of a warm
1: hug from a local.
3: It's hard to see how we're going to get from this feeling of a warm hug to questions about a violent abduction. Three. Two. Just completely letting go. One. You know, I, I think it's an important topic. He does a pretty thorough job of looking at things like uh, memory and how suggestion works. And it's something I, I sort of explored in Strange Arrivals as well. So I'm kind of familiar with like what's out there that you can talk about as far as this stuff goes.
1: Can I ask you an interjecting question about forensic hypnosis? Yes. What did you think when Maurice, our host, told us that he wasn't going to play us much of the forensic hypnosis tape because he didn't want us to become hypnotized while listening to it?
3: <laughs> that seemed... I, I made it all the way through Doctor Dante without once being <laughs> hypnotized. I feel like I'm pretty much immune. That's um, so yeah, why I
0: don't do exactly. television. I don't want people to get think I'm too sexy.
2: <laughs> Toby Ball, you will go to the subway. Toby Ball, and you will order the BMT.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, I will not. Um, yeah. So so anyway, I thought I thought that you know the first couple episodes are are a little languid in their pacing uh but i thought the the information was was interesting
1: yeah so laura this whole idea of if i can get you to apologize for a thing that is like basically getting you to tacitly admit that oh you did it so just say you're sorry laura just say say you're sorry for being late to the taping tonight just say it say you're sorry laura Saying, I'm sorry, Rebecca. I'm sorry, sorry Rebecca. You obviously murdered somebody earlier tonight,
2: Laura. You obviously That's murdered somebody. why I was late. I knew I it. I murdered somebody. Yes. I knew and it. And I needed did to did cover the it up. to
0: make you uh, bring you back to her. Mm.
1: Oh my God. That was crazy. Does <laughs> the smell of this Domino's pizza in particular? Make you remember the night of the murder. Your
3: olfactory memory. So now Holland tells Axe to focus on the flavor of the pizza. We're nearly five hours into the interrogation at this point. It's late into the night. One. I'm trying to remember. Two. I'm glad you like this pizza. It's helping you though. No, that's nasty. I'm, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. It's nasty. I'm brothering stuff right now, man. They didn't cut it like this back then, though. It's brother and stuff right now. I'm helping you to remember. Taste that cross. Ah, smell it.
1: Kevin, what did you think about that technique of just saying, like, I just, if you just, it's a very gaslighting, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, first of all, just say you're sorry. The prompt is so problematic. In isolation, uh, it could be taken as a confession on its own, right? You know, if you're smart, like you don't say, I'm sorry, even after a fender bender for all sorts of, you know, insurance reasons, you you know, you don't say it there. It certainly can be misconstrued as an admission of guilt. Maybe the fender you busted was, you know, a drunk driver. You don't want to take the whole fall for that. Here, it's also used as sort of the first step towards getting the suspect closer and closer to an admission. And then when you combine that with these techniques about, uh, undermining uh, your own faith in what your memory is and starting to s- supplant those memories with suggestions on top of all the other issues here, like the deception and things of that nature. Just by say, you know, if you get them to say, I'm sorry long enough, I mean, they're going to... S- they're going to break and sort of believe this idea themselves that they they did something that they need to be forgiven for.
1: It's so funny to say that, Kevin, because I'm sorry legally is problematic. It's problematic in employment situations. Mm-hmm. It's problematic, you know, like if you fire someone, you're not supposed to say I'm sorry. Right. That, yeah, yeah. that implies like that, you know, you're not supposed to be. But also, like, I'll never forget this. I used to work in a retail store like in the 1990s and a woman <laughs> kind of hilariously just visually walked completely full bore into our glass window that was like between like the hallway and like our shoe display where there was very clearly a shoe display and she just like walked into it like she wasn't paying attention And my instinct as, like, a 20-something was to just be like, I am so sorry. (laughs) That She was just, like, on the floor. She was so embarrassed. I'm like, I'm so sorry. People do this all the time. Uh, Just to make her feel better, guess what? She fucking sued the store and, like, got a settlement because I literally said the words, I'm so sorry. This happens all the time. I think
0: that this happens all the time was probably worse. But but no,
1: I literally was like... I was only saying that to make her feel less embarrassed. Of course it didn't happen all the time. Yeah, it, 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 it's problematic in slow-stake
0: situations. This for phones. Was she wasn't even
1: looking down, dude. Watch, she walked into a window with writing on it. For God's sakes, lady. To this day, I'm still like, how did that happen? How did that happen? Anyway, but yeah, you shouldn't say I'm sorry.
0: No, you shouldn't say you're sorry for, like, wanting to get paid for your art on Patreon.
1: Yeah! Now, that is a good transition. Thank you. Congratulations. Right. You did one that wasn't tacky. I,
0: well, I almost walked into the plate glass window of commercial success there.
1: <laughs> nice job. Look, we'd love to have you on Patreon. us. Toby with doesn't look embarrassed this time.
0: Toby never looks embarrassed. he's <laughs> he just perte- He's just perpetually um, annoyed by us. Yes. So, over on Patreon... Just go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You can get all sorts of great stuff there. You can get ad free and early episodes of all these crime writers on shows. You'd already know right now if we were thumbs up or thumbs down because you would have gotten this episode as soon as Rebecca hit save on the file. Also, we have for you there the crime writers on after show. We have Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. Toby, what book are people should be reading right now so they'll be ready for your next episode?
3: The Stranger Beside Me by Anne Rule. Mm, Classic. Classic.
2: That's a classic. Classic
3: story about Ted Bundy.
2: Wow. Holy shit. It's
3: a lot of pages, a lot of words. (laughs) A lot of words.
1: Who's going to be the guest for that one?
3: Yeah. So uh, discussing this is going to be Lauren Bright Pacheco. Uh
1: Uh-huh.
3: Claire Clark, who uh, is- is, Dr. uh, Claire Clark. Exactly. At Trinity, Dublin. Maybe you'll see her in Ireland, Kevin.
0: Well, if
1: you're listening to this on Thursday, I'm there right now. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And then uh, Alex Segura.
1: Wow. Doing an Anne Rule book. It's a classic.
3: Yeah, uh, Yeah. So it should be good.
1: If it weren't for Anne Rule, none of us would be sitting here just saying. Well, maybe like, you you probably would, Toby, but the rest of us would not. Okay. Mm. So, Kevin, what else?
0: We also have Laura Bricker's Leave it to Bricker podcast and our Married with Podcast podcast. We dish out advice.
2: I have something new coming up on Leave it to Bricker. Oh, do tell. Well, an attorney in Exeter, my little quaint of town, recently argued successfully a case before the U.S. Supreme Court oh, and wow. won.
0: Oh, wow.
2: And I was walking on my ridge walk around town the other day, and I saw all these signs on their window. And not only is this an attorney, she's the organ player at my church. Wow! So we know I'm getting the story about this whole thing.
1: That's all so right. quaint. Yeah, and or the organ player at Lars church successfully argued a case in front of the. <laughs> <laughs> it is the quaintest fucking thing I've Isn't ever that's heard. Isn't that the craziest thing you've ever heard? Yeah. No, it's just like, very Exeter. It's very, very, it's very, ex- very on yeah. brand. Yeah.
0: Also, we have the latest episode of These Other Are the Stories out. We're looking at, uh, we're looking at one of Rebecca's favorite crazy episodes of SVU. It's called Shattered. This is the one with Sharon Stone. We're at the end. There's a standoff, and Sharon Stone picks up a woman's dead child oh and God. walks it over to her.
1: That one. And hands it
0: to her to end the standoff.
1: I. Oh, my God, that episode is bananas. Yeah. I love that episode so much. He's my
0: son, you bastard! Sophie, Sophie, put the gun down. No, you put yours down,
1: or she will die! Everyone will die! All right, Kevin, before we end the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron
0: saints are Allison Godfrey and Melanie O'Halloran. Bless
1: you. Bless you, Allison and Melanie. Bless you, everyone who supports us on Patreon and those of you who don't. You're cool, too, although I wish you would consider it because it's super fun back there behind the paywall. And thank you to everyone else who muscles their way through the business section every week. I know it's tough, but y'all do it, and we really appreciate it. Kevin, does that send the business section?
0: That send the business section.
1: I'm going to fade the music out right now. So, Kevin, I didn't get your thoughts about the forensic hypnotist.
0: Oh, uh, what the actual fuck with this? I mean, what's next? The forensic witch doctor? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so uh, what did I want to say about that? Okay. You got the forensic hypnotist. You got the smell of the pizza.
1: What's the deal with the smell of a pizza?
0: I can't. I think he's just trying to like trigger your senses and try to get your marriage. Now, it's one thing if you're doing that with an eyewitness, you know, and you're just trying to. Maybe, you know, I mean, I don't know how, how like effective like that would actually be at, at, at getting actionable, credible information. I think it just is like another step on this path of just like getting you to confess, right? And getting you to incriminate yourself, you know, bringing you back, you know, maybe you're the kind of killer that's going to get emotional having to think about it again and you put it behind you or you've just buried it so deep that you want to fight and you're going to like get verbally tripped up. I don't know. It is good at getting people to say things is what he is good at that. And I'm sure that he has arrested, you know, he's gotten people who are uh, who are criminals to confess to things that they have done. But they also seems to be very good at getting people who have no business being questioned to also say they did things they didn't do.
2: Hmm. Yeah. So I want to talk about that hypnosis thing a little bit because. Testimony from witnesses that are being hypnotized is not allowed in most places, but apparently in Texas, it is Mm. like, so it's still allowed in Texas. And that crazy hypnosis thing leads to a description. Um, The vehicle description changes. And then the sketch artist like modifies this sketch based on this. And then this sketch goes out and then lo and behold, somehow that leads to Larry Driscoll. So, well, the dude's like, like that looks like the handyman who works on the house next to us. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) It's just fucking bonkers. But like forensic hypnosis, like, I mean, I've never read. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, like, what the ever? What the fuck? And like, again, Texas is the home of true crime. I mean, we have so many true crime writers in Texas and Mm. authors that write true crime books. And it's because. Texas crime is fucking bonkers. And apparently Texas, what is allowed and to be admissible in Texas is also fucking bonkers, too. OK, let's just be fair for a second. Texas
1: is the second most populous state in the country yeah. behind California. So you can also say California is the home of true crime. I think most of the cases we cover and everything on this show are either from California or Texas, to be fair. So just, let's just be
2: clear on that. No, I'm just saying Texas has all the crazy cases like the cheerleader mom death and mm-hmm. like, yes. you know, Catherine Casey, the two sure. crime writers in Texas. Sure, sure, yeah. sure, sure, sure. So
1: Joby, one of my criticisms of this podcast, which I'll talk about in my review, uh, is that it does go over some very well-trod ground that we've heard about in Tons of other reporting and tons of other podcasts, including things like the read technique, including things like, oh, wow, police are allowed to lie to suspects, yada, yada. But in the final episode, the host talks to a woman who basically is like, you know, what is your take on how the use of these tools? And she's like, well, I would hate to take the tool of lying to suspects away from cops, because even though it is misused a lot, it is, it is also used to catch bad guys. And I would hate to take away, you know, these other techniques away from cops because they are also valuable tools. And, you know, I really do think juries are getting smarter. And if only defense attorneys were better. I have seen that
2: tactic work in a lot of confessions where I believe the person confessed legitimately. We had corroboration and They were ultimately convicted, and I believe that was a righteous conviction. I'm not saying it doesn't happen where there's false confessions because they were tricked. We've seen that. Mm -hmm. But to take that tool away from law enforcement, I have a hard time with that.
1: The couching over and over and over again just made me want to, like, throw myself off of a cliff. Because none of these things are, in my opinion, true. Like— What if no cops were allowed to lie to no one ever? Because that's how it is in other countries, right?
3: I mean, she goes even further and says, I think police now, because juries are smarter, and we'll see through this, that police are incentivized not to use these techniques against people who are more prone to be fooled by them. Yeah. And
1: bullshit. It's like,
3: like, what the fuck are you talking about? Bullshit. What you're saying is that police are going to not use techniques against the people they think they're going to actually work against like that. That's a not going to happen. I mean, she kind of posits this like perfect situation, right? Where every defendant is going to get a vigorous and competent defense in the courtroom. And this idea that these indigent people who get roped into making false confessions or even real confessions under these techniques are going to have the kind of representation that's going to be able to pull in experts to be like, well, he admitted to it, but this is why you shouldn't take that seriously. I mean, hearing that somebody admitted to, to something, despite the fact I think that in true crime circles and like our listeners and, and that affinity group is pretty clear now about false confessions I'm not sure that that's sort of widely understood. I feel quite certain in Smith County, Texas, if you confess to something, you're probably going to be convicted. Based on what we uh, listened to earlier this week, you know, I, I think it's the best you could come up to to kind of defend the practice, given that it's just opening the door for uh, nefarious activity on the on the part of police that would be legal.
1: Yeah. So there are limits in other countries about what the police can lie and lie not about. So, for instance, in the UK, the police cannot lie to a suspect in order to make them believe they have evidence that they don't have or that evidence is stronger than it is. And guess what? What? It's fine. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) They still catch bad guys there. Like, they're not, like, considered to be, like, a country where, like, you know, so many bad guys are running around because... The police can't lie more.
0: Yeah. And this whole, you know, kind of discussion about like, well, it's okay to have this faulty tool in place because, well, jurors ought to be able to, you know, see through it and attorneys ought to be able to argue against it and make people like, if cops themselves cannot bring themselves to believe that they've made a mistake or that people might confess to something that they didn't actually do, how is the public supposed to believe? Right. You know, it's just and again, it's just sort of passing the buck like when a you know you they arrest the wrong person, they say, oh, the jury got it right. or it's the jury that convicted him. you know, again, it's just passing the buck. It's no one's taking responsibility for their place in the broken system,
1: yeah, I mean, I just keep thinking of like the Jason Carroll case in the season of Undisclosed and in Bear Brook season two, like Roland Lammy, before arresting uh, Jason Carroll and Tony Puff, interviewed other people. That he also thought were guilty, the same like the other people could have been Jason Carroll. It's this guy George, who like, was just like, no," and like walked out. And that's the only reason why that guy's not in prison today, right? Yeah, because, yeah. because the, cause the same shit didn't work on him as worked on Jason Carroll. It's right. like, right but, and there's
0: the guy in this podcast, the same thing.:
1: Yes. Yeah. And it's like, if it doesn't work on you, it doesn't work on you. But if it does work on you, that means you're guilty. Like, it's crazy. And like the idea that like a jury would discern that because, I mean, there's so much data that shows that juries believe that if someone has been brought to court because they've been arrested and haven't made a plea deal and their case has gone to trial, there's quote, good reason for it. And they're probably guilty. Like, that's what jurors actually believe. Right. Like if all this time and Mm -hmm. expense and like they've been pulled out of work and everything like they're already biased towards guilt anyway. I mean, I found that entire section of the podcast and the fact that it was, I don't know. I mean, one of my big criticisms of this generally is that so much stuff is not interrogated more. And that was one of the things that was not interrogated more. Was that just like this woman was like, yeah, but and it was just like left to lie there. And I'm like, no, no, but like that's not that's just not how it is. So, Laura, what did you think about the case of Chris Axe? That was the other case that was sort of looked at in this podcast.
2: So, yeah. So, Chris Axe, he was somebody that was under investigation for a murder. And, again, this Texas Ranger interrogates him. And eventually, the case is dismissed. And this is really dismissed because DNA evidence comes in and shows that he wasn't a contributor he wasn't in the DNA that was found on the victim's clothing. And in fact, that DNA matched the original suspect in the case. Right. So again, this is somebody that ends up confessing, and it is again at the interrogation techniques of this Texas Ranger. So I think it was interesting. I mean, I don't know if it was necessary. Like, I feel like for me, this podcast narrative sort of meandered a bit sometimes. Like I I think this is a really interesting issue. This these Texas Rangers, particularly this Texas Ranger in particular, and how he handles suspects of crimes and how he's getting these false confessions. So yeah, it was another one in the in the string of false confessions, and it was one that obviously had quite a, you know not just um, somebody going to prison, but somebody potentially going to their death. Right. You know, a lot of times we discredit DNA, but in this case. Thank goodness for the DNA because look what happened, but also look what happened after all these years based on, you know, scientific evidence versus uh, sketchy interrogation techniques. But even in that case, if I'm remembering correctly,
1: the DA or authorities were like, yes, but we don't, we can't definitively say he didn't do it. We can only say we don't have enough evidence to continue pursuing.
2: Right, exactly. So yeah, so basically the DA like issued, so this was the case. So 97, this woman like never comes home. She gets out of her job at the, I love it, the movie store. Remember we had like (laughs) movie stores where we got videos? Yeah. You know, a a white van that is later tied to this guy, uh, Paul Scott Taylor, who is actually the person whose DNA comes back, is seen in the parking lot. And- You know, then this woman's body is found, et cetera, et cetera. But eventually they focus on this guy, Taylor, but then, you know, it's a cold case. And then that's where our dear friend, Texas Ranger Holland comes in back in 2015 to like reinvestigate the case. Years later, yeah. And this guy, Christopher Axe, you know, initially says, yeah, he had been with this girl, but then that just goes all off the rails. And the next thing you know- Hypothetically, if you did it, hypothetically, 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 if you did it,
3: he was a moron. I'm, I'm dead serious when I say that it takes a certain kind of stupid to focus on just one person instead of looking at facts. And that's all he was doing. I see. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to pull punches when it comes to this guy. I refuse.
2: I, you know, appreciate when we're investigating cold cases. And I know in New Hampshire, like Kevin's done a lot of work on cold cases in New Hampshire. You've had a big interest in that. And sometimes that quest to solve the case, especially years later when memories change and memories fade, doesn't always lead you to an accurate conclusion. Right. I just have one final question because the podcast does explore one thing,
1: which is the effect on victims, families when exonerations happen later. Uh, Mm -hmm. After cases like this, and, you know, we talked to the relative of a victim who says that, you know, her uh, loved one's case, like, you know, her name wasn't even included in later reporting. It became the the case of the people who were exonerated. And I'm interested to, you know, just hear your thoughts on that thread, um, because I find myself in some ways, like, sort of pulling back from that, because, like, very often it is... It's law enforcement themselves that sort of bring the victim's family to the point where they can't change their mind about Mm. the conclusion of a case. And so that when an exoneration happens, you know, I don't blame the victim's family for being pissed about it. But the reason they don't believe it is because law enforcement is the reason why they're so sure of
0: it. But also in this case, she comes around to realizing that, yeah, these Two guys didn't do it, especially when they had somebody else that they arrested. Right. But she comes to, you know, be resentful of the fact that all of that that she was told, what they believed, was I mean, not a a lie necessarily, but that it wasn't the truth. Right. And that they had sort of placed all their emotional energy into a, a narrative that was not what really happened. And You know, I don't think I don't think any of us begrudge the family of any victims when we say, oh, but the person they arrested was the wrong person. I don't think we begrudge them their pain or their dubiousness about that because they want justice for their loved one. But justice for the loved one does not include railroading the wrong person. That's right. Right. So emotionally, do we have to kind of walk a little bit of a fine line there that I think we could say shit about the cops and their bad techniques and the prosecutors that are not using proper discretion and even the you know the judges that are tilting the you know the tables but for the families and stuff you have to let them have their feelings and whether they're supportive of that or not that's sort of different right you know but you know a family member who you know still thinks that this guy is guilty or never thought this guy was guilty that doesn't really move the needle on what actually happens in court. Very often, other than if the family might influence a prosecutor to maybe dial something back, but you know, in general, just going to let you know the families feel how they want to feel. But it was very interesting to hear from this one woman about her family's experience and sort of the change in change in feelings. You know, because it is it becomes an emotional roller coaster. You think one thing and. You find out
1: something else. Well, she's talking to you about media coverage specifically, how the name Mm. of the case is. Yeah. Here's how I think about it, right? People get upset because they call it, quote, the Adnan Syed case instead of the Heyman Lee case. Right. They are two different cases, really. There's the Heyman Lee case. Heyman Lee was murdered. If you believe, as I do, that Adnan Syed had nothing to do with Heyman Lee's murder— that is the Adnan Syed case because he is the victim of a system, too. They are two separate cases, right? They're, they're, their cases are entwined, but they are not, you know, to call it the Heyman-Lean case. Like, it's like they're two different things.
0: Yeah, but sometimes it is. I mean, do we call it the O.J. Simpson case. Very rarely do we call it. It was, oh, the, the, state, Brown... it was the
1: state versus O.J. Simpson. Right. But right. no, I'm
0: saying in our shorthand in the media. And in the public consciousness, we call it the O.J. Simpson case. Right. Right. So they're not and wrong about that. And not the Ron
1: that. Goldman case. Right.
0: Yeah. So they're not wrong about that.
1: Yeah. No, I, I agree. No, that comes up all the time. But I think in terms of exonerations, it's an interesting issue in particular. All right. Let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out the podcast, "Smoke Screen." Just say you're sorry, Laura Bricker. What do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this podcast?
2: Um. So I am going a mild thumbs down with this podcast. I think this is an issue that really needs to be brought out. I think this is a really important issue. I think that the way, and I think, you know, we've got the Innocence Project, the Marshall Project, we've got really important people involved in this. I just feel like the way that the story was told and the narrative was structured didn't have the impact. I got lost a lot of times in this podcast. I actually listened to it twice on my podcast cross-country travels across the state of New Hampshire this week. And I was frustrated by that because I I feel conflicted because this is something that we should be talking about. And this is obviously something that, you know, really reputable, wrongful conviction groups are involved in. But unfortunately for me, the way that the story was told, I just didn't really enjoy. So that is a mild thumbs down. Toby Bopp.
3: Yeah, this is a tough one for me. I guess I'd give it a thumb sideways. I I kind of agree with Laura in that I don't think it was told in the best possible way, given the subject matter. I mean, part of it is, you know, we spend a lot of time on things that people who listen to a lot of true crime podcasts probably have experienced, like have heard about or, or, or kind of know about. And I think it's fine to touch on that stuff and have like a little bit of it, but I think they kind of dwell on it quite a bit. I think there's more sort of interesting stuff. Like when Holland is in, I think California and he's trying to look into this serial murderer and stuff. I thought that that had the potential to take some of the time away from this sort of more sort of deep dive into forensics and memory and stuff like that. Uh, spend more time with that. I thought, uh, Jillian, uh, was an interesting voice. We didn't talk about this in the main review, but I thought she was a, a good voice to give some context to him. So why he's not just like a complete stock or, or whatever. So all all this being said, I thought there was a lot of stuff to think about. I, I don't think it was put together the way I would, or the, the amount of time apportioned to different aspects of things uh, necessarily reflected what people who listen to much true crime or watch true crime would come in with knowledge of. So I guess yeah, so it's a thumbs it's some thumb sideways. I mean I I didn't I didn't mind listening to it, but you know, if this had been made 4 or 5 years ago, I think it would have felt sort of more revelatory than it does now.
1: Kevin Flynn. Yeah,
0: I'm going to go with a thumbs up. I thought it was told in a solid way. I did appreciate it was a deep dive into one of these cases, and, and, you know, sort of showing the problem with this one particular person of law enforcement. Again, we, if you've listened to any kind of true crime, then the Reed technique and its problems is not anything new to you. You know, I don't know at what point we can start saying, okay, that we shouldn't be telling audiences about Reed or that they should assume walking into it that they already know all about that. Well, I think the point is supposed to be to raise awareness of the issues with the Reed technique. So, I can't disagree that this might not be revelatory for most true crime listeners. I did appreciate the way that Marie signposted certain things when they're happening, where it was read technique and actually where it went way beyond the read technique. In the end, it's called just say you're sorry. It's the police asking the defendants, the suspects, to say they are sorry. But, you know, the people that need to say they are sorry are the police officers in the system. They just need to say they're sorry for creating situations that are very likely to ensnare innocent people and get them to falsely confess to murders they did not commit.
1: Okay, so I hate to say it, but I'm a thumbs down on this podcast. I would have loved to have loved a podcast that was made by, in part by The Marshall Project. I'm a huge, huge uh, supporter of them and their work. However, when I was listening to this podcast, I just kept thinking, Have the people who made this podcast never listened to like any of the reporting that has been done in this medium in the last few years before? There's nothing new or interesting or revelatory here. Not only that, but the case itself at the center of it. I'm sorry. It's a very low stakes case. At the end of the podcast, you actually find out the stakes are just not high at this particular moment in time. They're not. But I have to say, and it's just, it's disappointing. I, you know, as somebody who participated recently in helping edit a podcast that included a lot of read technique stuff and my huge warning to the people making it was all of your listeners know a lot of this. You have to do it in a new way that they haven't heard before. This podcast went in absolutely the opposite direction. I did not hear anything in this podcast that I have not heard Dozens and dozens of times except this was slower (laughs) and so I just have to say I just it was difficult to listen to I found myself kind of dreading listening to the next episode and it wasn't just that it wasn't new it was just plodding and slow and I agree with toby the most interesting part happened later with jillian I maybe would have started there and had that be the kickoff to the narrative Because that was the only time in the podcast where we sort of got a fuller portrait of the man that's ostensibly at the center of this. And yeah, I just, I, I can't give it a thumbs up. And it, it, I regret having to say that, but that's where I am on it. So thumbs down for me for Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. All right, that's going to do it for us. But before we go, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this
2: week? <laughs> um, we have a developing story this week. Oh no. oh um, one of our longtime regulars, Tony Flanagan, is considering adopting a dog. Wow. Now, we don't know what's happening with the dog. Um, it's introduced to Lola, her other dog. We're waiting to see what happens. But um, Angela Buster is lobbying for some name suggestions for this dog and is hoping it will be called Rankin, as in Bill Rankin.
0: Ah, I'm a dog. <laughs> Can I go outside and pee? Oh. Do you know my butt tastes like deliciousness?
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> if you sniff me, you get to know
2: me better.
0: Come here. I can sniff your butt and know what you had for dinner. <laughs>
2: oh, no. Now, somebody else wants the dog to be called Toby. Oh. oh! But um, so Rankin, Toby, what is the dog going to be named? And will Tony get the dog? Tune in next week mm. on General Hospital. I mean, Crime Writers On. Oh, for nice. For the update.
1: Nice. All right. Laura Bricker, folks want to reach out to you and submit their animals real or future or imaginary to be cat of the week how can they find you on social media they can find me at laura bricker what about you toby ball how can you be found online
3: at Toby Ball nh
1: kevin flynn what about you i'm at kevin p flynn you can find me everywhere at reb lavoie you can find the show everywhere at crime writers on and please join our incredible facebook discussion group it is robust it is inclusive we never have to kick anybody out. Well, maybe once in a while, but rarely because everyone there is so rad. Just go to our regular Facebook page. I've pinned a post there that points you to the group. Get episodes early and ad free at Patreon.com/slash Partners in Crime Media. You'll also get the Crime Writers on After Show, Married with Podcast, Lar Brickers Leave It to Bricker Podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the wonderful Livy Burdette. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement, where I also will spend several tense hours trying to get Kevin... To just say he's sorry. No, I'm not gonna do it. How did this sweater shrink, Kevin? I'll never do it. How did the sweater shrink, Kevin? I'm talking. Just say you're sorry. I'm not talking. Just say you're sorry. I was someplace else. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch
2: you later. Later. I have to say that um, what's his puss here? Hold on. Um, I have to say that James Holland. What's his puss? I had his name written down so I didn't forget it. <laughs> Are you gonna make it, Rebecca. <laughs> Look at Rebecca, she's like I'm what sorry, is I just took a sip my hot cocoa just as
1: you said it was his puss. <laughs> and all I could think about was cookie puss. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, you know, say that whole thing again.
2: Okay.
3: In crime media. media.